So you may remember this challenge called Devious Licks. That is Drew Harwell. He covers technology for The Post. Supposedly, it was this big viral sensation on TikTok where, you know, teens were going into their school and they were vandalizing school property and just going wild in the bathrooms. And, you know, it became such a big thing because local newspapers and TV stations were talking about it. Another viral TikTok trend going in the wrong direction. It's happening in our local schools. So this trend, you might have heard of it. It's called Devious Licks, and students have been recording themselves vandalizing... Higher water fountains. It's called the Devious Lick Challenge. And the challenge is to successfully steal items from school for online popularity. There was even, you know, letters from uh, senators to TikTok executives saying, hey, we need to, you know, haul your executives to D.C. to talk about these, these harmful and destructive acts. The business model is glorify destructive, sometimes deadly actions on the part of children and teens who are attracted to the site purposefully so TikTok can make more money. But the more we found out, the more we realized that actually the Devious Slicks challenge wasn't just a TikTok thing. If anything, it had started on Facebook. And this trend was not nearly as big as all the panic made it seem. But there's a reason for that. These stories about devious licks on news stations and the scary talking points being parroted by lawmakers, they were actually being spread as part of a targeted campaign by Facebook's parent company, Meta. Drew and our colleague Taylor Lorenz broke the story that Meta had worked with a Republican consulting firm to amplify the story that TikTok, not Facebook, was dangerous for kids. Meta was working with this Republican PR firm called Targeted Victory to effectively tarnish TikTok across the country as this huge societal threat and this threat to kids and this problem online and the reason why lawmakers should not pay attention to Facebook's many issues, but refocus back to TikTok and hopefully take it down. Devious Lick. Devious Lick. Devious Lick Challenge. The idea of the challenge was being heavily promoted by this meta-funded communications group, Targeted Victory. I mean, we could see from the emails that they were promoting this to local media in D.C. and in Massachusetts and Michigan. They were really trying to get this story out across the country and viral, even though the whole understanding of it was totally warped. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, April 5th. Today, Facebook's behind-the-scenes campaign to take down its biggest rival. So we got some really interesting emails from somebody close to Targeted Victory that showed real-time conversations between the directors and employees of this company, Targeted Victory, where you could see them gathering not just sort of bad TikTok stories, but really trying to game out their strategy on how do we reach local politicians and political reporters and newspapers and get this message out that TikTok is the real threat. So basically, this is like hiring a company to go find dirt on your competitor 
and just tell everyone how awful this competing company is, right? Yeah, it's the kind of like mudslinging campaign that politicians have been doing for a long time now, right? Where they do these big, you know, oppo research dumps on the other guy and 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 try and do all these sort of backhanded things to kind of toss dirt at the competition. But here we had like these two giant companies doing it. And we had, you know, Meta that is this billion dollar social network trying to throw mud at the new competitor on the scene, this other, you know, video network called TikTok that was much more popular than Facebook now, that is is growing at rapid speed while Facebook is shrinking, and just adopting all of these kind of like backroom DC mudslinging techniques and, mm-hmm. and bring them into big tech. And can you tell me just a little bit about this company, Targeted Victory, that was hired by Meta to start this campaign? Yeah, they're based in D.C., and they're actually one of the biggest Republican strategy communications firms in America. They make money from all the biggest Republican campaigns, the the super PAC that is a pro-Trump super PAC, America First, the Republican congressional re-election committees. They make hundreds of millions of dollars every campaign season from these Republican campaigns. But they also work with companies, and they've worked with Meta for years, helping them kind of make connections in D.C., sort of navigate these communications crises, of which Facebook has had many since 2016, and just effectively shield Facebook or try to shield Facebook from, you know, the regulatory attacks that they may get in D.C. without their help. So tell me about what we know about the aim of this campaign, this, like, let's take down TikTok plan. So we got emails actually from inside Targeted Victory. So we got a Mm -hmm. really intimate look at their whole playbook. And there were a couple parts of it. One was they wanted to get every piece of negative press they could about TikTok from the nation's newspapers, right? So local, regional news outlets, TV stations, radio stations, newspapers— Anything that was negative written about TikTok, they wanted to find and hopefully promote to other news outlets. Targeted Victory has PR people in lots of different media markets and cities across the country. And you could see from these emails, they were saying, okay, we're seeing this new bad story about TikTok crop up here. Can we portal it over to this other city and really kind of make it go viral there. And and that's all fairly common in this kind of like dirt throwing campaign. But the stuff that really sort of set it apart for me was they were also trying to spotlight and promote these totally dubious TikTok trends, stuff like slap a teacher, like there being this big, you know, trend on TikTok about just going wild in schools. Wait, wait, sorry. Can we talk a little bit more about the slap a teacher thing? Because I remember hearing about this. Yeah. So the story that Targeted Victory was promoting and that was getting into local news outlets was that kids were going on TikTok and they were slapping their teachers and taking video of it and just going wild and and it was going viral and there was this huge Mm. trend about it, which, you know, played into all of these fears about TikTok and crazy teens. But it was totally bogus. Like this was a trend that wasn't actually going trending on on TikTok. All it started was as a rumor on Facebook. It was one post on Facebook of a guy sort of, you know, making up stuff. And 
they ran with it. And it, hmm. it became this whole news story about, you know, teens going wild on TikTok, but it was never really a thing until somebody had started talking about it on Facebook. You saw this too with Devious Slicks, where it just totally got blown out of proportion. And, you know, there are trends on TikTok, and it's a huge platform. There's there's crazy stuff that happens on there, just like there's crazy stuff that happens on Facebook. But what was especially galling here was that Meta was trying to weaponize these bogus trends and get people upset about them and mobilize the anger of parents and local lawmakers to take down TikTok for some of the same things that Meta has been criticized for before. And to some extent, it seems like they were successful, right? Like they got people to believe these stories about how damaging TikTok can be. Yeah, it was effective. Like we saw these news stories all across the country and you saw people having conversations about TikTok as this, you know, scary moral panic thing that you had never really seen before. And, you know, maybe all of that wasn't targeted victory, but we could see from the emails too that targeted victory was counting the bad TikTok clips. They were, you know, commending other officials in the company for promoting this stuff. And they were even, you know, doing these letters to the editor. They were helping draft and coordinate and promote these letters to the editor that they would get into local newspapers talking about these same kinds of threats and and other things about TikTok. And, you know, Targeted Victory was celebrating this. So there was a whole kind of you know, we, we talk about grassroots campaigns sort of being organic. This was what they call an AstroTurf campaign. This was a, hmm. a concocted campaign <laughs> to make it look like lots of independent people were agreeing on something when really it was this firm being paid by Meta coordinating something behind the scenes. You know, what strikes me is so ironic about this, or maybe even ironic is the wrong word, like truly intentional, is that this is a moment when Facebook is getting so much flack for its relationship specifically with younger users. And we heard last fall so many headlines that were about how Facebook is damaging, especially to teenage girls and the effects it's having on the lives of children, but also the fact that it's becoming less and less popular with children who think that Facebook is more for their parents. And so I could see how TikTok would be like opponent number one in who you want to bring down or cause this moral panic about. Yeah. And, you know, Meta realizes that they have been in the hot seat and there are people inside the company who feel like they are in it you know, wrongly, that they that they get criticized more than everybody else and that it's unfair. And, you know, in the emails from Targeted Victory, you can see where they say, okay, let's convince people that while we're the current punching bag, TikTok is the real threat. But really, I think this seems to come from a place of fear, right? Facebook and Meta mm-hmm. and Mark Zuckerberg have been for a while talking about TikTok as the fastest growing app. And it is. I mean, it's most downloaded. It's, it's fastest growing. It's popular with all of the people that Facebook wishes it were popular with, including, you know, young people in America. And meanwhile, Facebook is facing all of these attacks on other fronts, right? They're facing antitrust questions of whether they're too big. They're facing privacy and security questions. They're facing disinformation questions. And so they're feeling the heat and they're wanting to see, okay, can we can we project some of this onto TikTok? Mm-hmm. What have Meta and Targeted Victory said about your reporting here? Well, interestingly, they didn't refute it. And if anything, they said, hey, this is just kind of how these things go. Targeted Hmm. Victory said they were proud of the work they had done for Facebook. And Facebook said, you know, 
we think every company, including TikTok, deserves the kind of scrutiny that we've gotten. So they didn't, you know, they didn't back down from these techniques. They just said, hey, this is this is the game. This is part of what companies do to each other. And this is kind of what we chose to do because we wanted to spotlight our competitor. But what I think is so funny here is that there are tough questions to be asked about Facebook and about TikTok. I mean, TikTok is a Chinese-owned company. It does have a profound effect on the lives of young people. I mean, I think it's fair to be asking questions around its role in our society and how the app works and how the algorithm works. But it's just Facebook doing it in this way makes Facebook look bad and then doesn't have its intended effect on TikTok because now we're all talking about how bizarre and messed up it is that Facebook tried to do this campaign against this competitor. Yeah, and I think that's one of the worst parts of this whole thing or one of the saddest parts of it is that there are legitimate things to ask about TikTok. We have written about TikTok. I mean, there are lots of... um, Questions people should have about this extremely popular app that kids are using that's run by a company that's based in Beijing that has faced all sorts of questions about what kind of content is it pulling off the app and how does the algorithm work to show you content. But all of those things take a backseat when you've got this bigger company that is trying to use these sort of backhanded tactics to, to attack it. And so I think this is really backfiring at Meta because it's helping TikTok look like this you know, bullied company and Mm -hmm. that all of the criticism is misplaced. And so, you know, I really think that it it feels here like Meta has poisoned the well in a way on criticism of TikTok. They've made Mm -hmm. it so people are going to question whatever they see about TikTok. Was that a plant by Facebook? Like, am I getting the full story? Or is this all just kind of the Game of Thrones of these big companies trying to tear each other down? I also think that it reflects poorly on the entities that believe these stories, right? On regulators or government officials who saw these reports of fake trends on TikTok or, you know, these these bad headlines and believed them or acted upon them without looking closer to what was actually happening on the app. Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, it's important to say that among the news organizations across the country that included stories that were about TikTok trends and and panicky stuff was the Washington Post. Like the Post had some stories about these TikTok trends too, and and the company was quick to point those out to us. But what I think it shows is that you know there is media complicity in this, right? Like news organizations respond to these stories, especially about newfangled, popular with the kids apps like TikTok, because there's a lot of questions we have. It's really popular, and we want to understand it. And sometimes we try and understand it in the wrong ways, but. What this really shows is that targeted victory and meta knew that moral panics in the media and media reports about teens acting wild were a reliable way to get the message across, to get out this message of fear and uncertainty and doubt about this new competitor, and that they could use that, and that they could even exploit people's potentially legitimate concerns about the apps their kids were using and use that as a way to get ahead. And so, you know, I I think it's reasonable for people to ask these questions, especially parents, parents whose, you know, kids are using these apps. But I think it's kind of unfortunate that the information they're getting is then influenced by companies like Meta that aren't necessarily out to get the full story 
about TikTok to, to the masses. They're really just out to kind of score political points and benefit their side. What has been the reaction that you've seen since you reported this? Well, we saw a huge reaction. People were really just frustrated that Meta had gone to this extent. Meta already kind of suffers from some, let's say, public image issues, right? People are frustrated with how the app has worked over the years. They were also kind of surprised to see Meta working so closely with a company that is very, very closely tied to the Republican establishment in D.C. It felt just to them like a blurred line between companies that you might expect to be a little more nonpartisan and this whole sort of Republican messaging machine that is really still to this day quite prominent in D.C. So there was a, a, a huge amount of reaction from people saying even, you know, we think TikTok should get questioning, but not in this kind of backhanded way. And we want to know more about why Meta would go to this level to, to try and undermine the competition. What do you think this story says about the larger state of play between all of these huge social media companies? It just underlines again that this is a massive industry, right? Like these are multi-billion dollar companies. There was this image of Silicon Valley as this like kumbaya place many (laughs) years ago where there was all just a bunch of technical geeks working in garages to make cool products. Like, you know, that image is long past gone. Like these are you know, the biggest companies in the world, they are fighting over all of our attention spans. They have billions of users and their rising and falling is a huge concern um, and a multi-billion dollar concern for a lot of people. We're going to see tactics like this. We're going to see companies that are going to not be afraid to throw the first punch if it means they can make some money or, you know, win the narrative or win more people to their side. So, yeah, I mean, this just reflects that these are media empires. These are really important places for people to communicate. And so I think it reiterates that these are really important places to pay attention to. And we should, you know, be be careful about the information we spread about them and who we who we choose to believe. You know, companies are out here to persuade us to believe certain things, and we just need to be careful about what we decide to have confidence in. Drew Harwell covers technology for The Post. After the break, we talk with science reporter Carolyn Johnson about new COVID treatments and the thinking behind another round of booster shots. We'll be right back. Last week, the FDA authorized a fourth shot for people 50 and over and also for people who are immunocompromised to get a fifth shot. This is Carolyn Johnson. She's a health and science reporter for The Post. And this headline caught my attention because I am a person who's fully vaccinated. I have a booster shot and I generally feel pretty safe. But whenever I hear news about another round of boosters, I get this feeling like the goalpost keeps getting moved back. So I called up Carolyn to ask her what all of this means. Like, are we going to have to keep getting COVID boosters until the end of time? 
Well, I don't know. I think when people say till the end of time and portray it as something dire, I mean, there's a lot of shots that we get repeatedly over our lifetime. I mean, the influenza shot is probably the most familiar because it's an annual booster. But even other kinds of vaccines, we do get a tetanus booster every 10 years. So the frequency of boosters is still kind of like unknown because we still don't know the future exactly. Many people think it's likely that if there were kind of a winter respiratory disease season that includes COVID and flu, you would just get these shots at the same time. Okay, so back to this booster that was just authorized for older people and immunocompromised people. So this is an additional booster. It's a little bit different, I would say, than the last booster because there was more of a scientific consensus that that shot was really doing something different to the immune system. It was really teaching the immune system how to recognize a greater diversity of variants. And we've really seen that protection play out during the Omicron surge. This booster is kind of aimed at the people who are vulnerable, and it's aimed at keeping them safe out of the hospital during the uncertainty that lies ahead where we just don't know exactly whether we're going to see future waves. But we do know that older people are just most at risk of COVID and that if we have the ability to give them an extra level of protection, you know, that could save lives. So I asked Carolyn if this means I should start pressuring my older relatives to make an appointment and get this next booster. It's not everyone who's eligible and people are more in the sort of medical community uncertain about the benefits as you go down in age. So if you're a healthy 50-year-old, the impetus to get a fourth shot is the urgency for it in many doctors' eyes is a little bit different than if you're, you know, 80 and you live in a nursing home and you're definitely at very high risk. It's available to anyone over 50, but I would say that there's just more disagreement about for people who are younger and healthier, do they need to rush out to get this shot today? This week, the FDA is actually going to hold a full-day meeting of its outside experts, and they're going to debate the booster strategy long-term for everyone. You know, what are we going to do in the fall? This fourth shot is kind of seen as like a short-term strategy to make sure that we keep the people who are most at risk of COVID. We give them every possibility through the uncertainties that lie ahead in the coming months. There's also another important tool that's becoming more available that Carolyn said could really help with preventing serious illness. We have two antivirals available. One is uh, Paxlovid from Pfizer and one is called Molnupiravir from Merck. They're both five-day courses of pills that people take. You have to take them as soon as you can after you get a diagnosis. So they work best when they're given within three days or five days of symptoms developing. So that's been a great new tool because it's easier than a lot of the other treatments we had that required injections or infusions. These pills are currently authorized for people who are higher risk, but there is an effort to ramp up production and make them more widely available. The Biden administration just set up a website so that people can find where they can both get tested and get access to antivirals as well as vaccines and masks. 
and trying to set up this test to treat where you can get a test at a pharmacy and then get a prescription filled right then. And that's actually the kind of like seamless access we're going to need because these drugs have to be given so quickly. So they're trying to make it seamless so you don't have to do multiple steps and have a primary care doctor and, you know, all the things about American healthcare that can uh, lead to like friction and slowness. So there's definitely an effort to show people how to identify places near them that can offer this to find out where the supply is. It just launched, so, you know, sort of TBD, like how well this ends up working, but the ideas behind it are all really sound and things that people have been telling me that, you know, they think we need to have this all work. Carolyn Johnson is a health and science reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Telkoff and mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Alexis Diao and Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.